0: Well good morning everyone, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Preston Road Church. I want to add my voice to those who have welcomed you today. Uh, if you are a guest with us, uh, we're, we're just glad you're, uh, you're among us and grateful to welcome you uh, in, into our presence today. So thanks for being here. If you're watching online, we're grateful for you as well. Let me just, we're not going to pick sides, but just raise your hand if you have a strong favorite or preference about tonight's game. Let's see who's really invested in this. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to state that publicly, you know, in front of everyone, but Uh, I want to also welcome the Griffins. We're grateful that that they're here and that they're back uh, to the Preston Road family, and uh, you know, they use the word momentum, and I feel that, maybe you feel that. There's just a a strong feeling of that momentum, and who knows what the Lord will do among us in the next few years as we take this journey together, but I also just want to say if you're around and if you're looking for a church home, I'm just going to say it. We want you here. And so please come talk to one of us, to, to me, other staff, other elders, if you're interested in talking more about that. We, we want you uh, to be part of this church family. And so we want to visit with you and help you learn what those next steps might be uh, to become uh, members at the Preston Road Church. So we're just grateful that you're among us and in our midst. And I also want to add... As we talk about momentum, just, I just want a word of thanks about your generosity as I've watched you each week and the way that you give uh, to, the, to the work of the church. And I just want to encourage you to continue to do that. What's nice uh, when, when you see that generosity continue to happen is that you know when we begin a season of dreaming and thinking of what the Lord might do, that we know that there is support uh, to do those things and we don't have to be limited so, so early on by saying how would we ever pull that off because I know you already and I know your generosity and so when you continue to give uh, each week or on whatever schedule you do that then you uh, really free up uh, the leaders of this church uh, to dream uh, about what God might be doing in this next season here at the Preston Road Church so I just want to be, uh, be honest about my gratitude to you for that it's, it's really encouraging uh, to see that We're going to keep talking about James. We're, oh, a couple weeks away from ending this series, and we've talked about all sorts of things in the book of James, haven't we? We've talked about uh, how trials can lead us to God, even if God didn't send them. We've talked about, um, kind of handle our tongue, and how we ought to speak, and how our tongue can get us into all sorts of trouble. We talked last week about maybe we should be praying for virtues instead of outcomes, and instead of... Asking God to, to bless these things we've already figured out. That we might just ask God to make us you know, kinder people, more virtuous people, more ethical people. And then see where that goes. Uh, so today we're going to talk about God's involvement with the plans that we make. So I want to take you back on a journey with me to about 2014. And sitting with leaders at my previous congregation and dreaming about... you know themes for years and multi-year arcs and you know we're it was neat we were talking about okay let's have a theme each school year we'll get through this and we had these themes about connecting with each other and serving and reaching out and and of course we got to the 2020 year and we thought we were really clever so let me show you what our theme year was at Memorial Road for 2019-2020 here it is the vision didn't everybody think we were clever doing that with 2020 2014 we're making these plans for kind of a six year arc Now I don't have to tell you what happened when we got to 2020 None of those things that we had planned to happen in 2020 happened Because everything changed for all of us And I wonder how many of you are part of organizations or companies or whatever That made our very clever 2020 vision plans And I wonder how many of those actually worked out for us not many, did they? Not many of those plans worked out. We know what it's like to make plans, even well-intentioned plans, and see them not work out because things change. We cannot fully control what happens, can we? So we're going to see what James has to say about that. So if you've got your Bibles, you've got an app, something to read, we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to take this today kind of a verse at a time for about half the sermon, and then we're going to talk about some ways to apply this. James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Seems reasonable. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? There are some assumptions embedded in this statement... ...of James' imagined person who's saying these kinds of things. It's about four assumptions here, isn't there? We're going to go. We'll spend a year there. We're going to do business. And we're going to make money. Four underlying assumptions in that. Really, this has to do with control. There's four things this person who says this... ...thinks he or she can control. They can control their time... So today or tomorrow. They can control their location. We're going to go to this city or that city. They can control the duration of their travel. We're going to spend about a year. And they can control their work and profit. Because we're going to do business and make money. The rest of what we're going to read today is about this need for control that we have. This seems reasonable, by the way. This sounds like you know, a business plan. And so you might already be thinking... Okay, are you about to tell me not to make plans? Because I'm a planner kind of person. Well, you may not know me very well yet, but so am I. Okay. I I'm a calendar person. Because my, my time, just like yours, reflects my values. And so I want to spend my time on things that reflect my values. I don't want to be haphazard about it. So if you're a person who is a planner... Just know that today's sermon is not going to be about not making plans. It's going to be about what we do when we make those plans. Because I I hear you already, and I hear it in my head. Don't worry. I'm not going to tell you to ditch your plans. I know that's not going to fly. But, But that's what James is talking about here. This idea that, you know, I can control these things, and so I'm going to go to this place and do these things, and, you know, do some business and make some money. That's the start. And as we move forward, you're going to see there's not just a plan, but there's a tone of arrogance behind this plan that James wants to warn us against. So that's verse 13. I want us to keep going. and We're just going to move through this passage. Verse 14. He says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Okay, James, you've brought us down to earth on that one. I mean, yes, I don't know what will happen tomorrow, but I mean, I have a pretty good idea. I know the odds of what's going to happen tomorrow, and we're right about that. But James says you're just a mist. And you might think this is just James's way of painting a nice picture of the, the, the fleeting nature of life. But when we look at images like mist and smoke and all these things in Scripture we see that it's not really a compliment it's not even neutral to say this I just want to show you some examples Uh, in the book of Hosea when we're talking about people making idols the text says they're going to be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes away early like chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window you think of all those images that Hosea uses there mist and dew and chaff and smoke think of Think of mist. Like you can kind of feel it when it's there, but it doesn't really leave much residue. It might maybe on your cars a little bit, depending on how heavy it is, but it's just there. You can't even really grab it, you can't touch it. It's just there, and then it's gone. Or the psalmist says about God's enemies in Psalm 68 Speaking to God, may you blow them, your enemies, away like smoke. It's gone. ...or another ancient text not in Scripture... ...you notice I've been quoting some other uh, wisdom resources... ...because James is part of the wisdom tradition... ...so there's other uh, passages of readings that James' audience would have been familiar with... ...even if they're not in our Bible, we don't consider them inspired Scripture... ...but The Wisdom of Solomon, another extra-biblical book... says, "...the hope of the ungodly is like thistledown carried by the wind... ...like a light frost driven away by the storm... It's dispersed like smoke before the wind, and it passes like the remembrance of a guest who stays but a day. When James says, those of you who are making these plans, your life is like a mist, he's warning us. Gone. It's just gone. So don't put too much stock in your ability to make plans. It's just like that. They can go away. It's a warning to us, isn't it? And we have felt that happen. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Instead, so this is James' solution, instead of this uh, making plans, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Notice his phrasing is, if it's the Lord's will, we can do this or that. So he's connect that into what he said we're going to go to this or that city it's just that these plans are made without any kind of consultation or any kind of acknowledgement of the dependence upon the lord is the one who's ultimately in control right now this this phrase this idea is pretty common in scripture and outside of scripture paul says it Quite a few times when he's making his plans. When he's talking to the Corinthian church, he says to them, I will come to you if the Lord wills. Or he says, I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. To the Jews in Ephesus who wanted him to stick around and teach more, he said, well, I can't do that right now, but he says, I will return if God wills. Now, Scripture and Christian tradition is not the only place we find this. It's all over the Greco-Roman culture. They had their own phrase, so they would knock on wood and they would say, Deo Volente, God willing. They, They even said that. They understood in their minds their dependence upon God or gods, and they knew that ultimately they were not in control. Now, we, like Paul, would want to speak into that from a Christian perspective. But I'm just saying, like, it's not, it's not just Christians. It's not just uh, people in the biblical tradition who would be called to acknowledge their dependence upon God for their plans. Other cultures knew this. We know this too, don't we? Now, we say this. So some of you have, have heard people say, you know, Lord willing, you've said that. Now, I want to see how southern we all are here. And I'm going to start a phrase, and let's see if you can finish the whole phrase. Lord willing and the... Come on, yes. Oh, I'm in Texas. I love it. Okay. So I did a little research on this, and there's some theories as to where this came from. There's not a a certain origin, but probably had to do with travelers in Appalachia, you can tell by the saying, who uh, would be traveling, and the rains could come down quickly and just wash out a road or a bridge, and your travel plans were shot. We're done. And so they knew that two things had to happen. The Lord had to be willing and the creek can't rise. Right. So there's a Johnny Cash song he sings, actually written by Jerry Reed, where the lyric is, If the good Lord's willing and the creek stays down, I'll be in your arms time the moon comes around. Even more recent artists like Ray LaMontagne have acknowledged this phrase in their records. We get this. People talk about it. Even if they're not believers, they're, they understand that phrase. And I've heard people of various generations say that a lot. And I know sometimes it might have just been an afterthought or a phrase we tack on almost like when we say, bless you when someone sneezes, even though we, we don't mean anything theological by it. So I understand sometimes that phrase can just get ...overused, but I think the intent is good. It acknowledges that I, I've, I've made these plans... ...but ultimately, if the Lord's not willing, they're not going to happen. I'm not more powerful than God. I'm not going to make something happen that's not what He wants. And in verse 16 now, we get to the real problem. Why is it an issue that they're making these plans? Here's what he says. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes... And all such boasting is evil. Sounds like what we read in Proverbs where we're told, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring. So we could read this imagined phrase back in verse 13 with a tone, couldn't we? A person who says, Well, today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city and we'll spend about a year there and, you know, we're going to make a lot of money. This is what we're talking about here. This certainty that if I say it and I plan it, that it will happen exactly like I said. And I really don't need anyone's help or blessing. Thank you very much. reminds me of the story in Luke 12 that Jesus tells. You know this story, but let's read it and remind ourselves because this is the problem. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I don't even have a place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So, here's somebody who says, You know what? I got more than I need. I got this set up. I'll build these bigger barns. I've got my 401k set. Retirement's ahead of me. I know how things are going to turn out. No problem. I'm in control. God says, you fool. You can't control what's going to happen next. See the arrogance behind this? I've got this figured out. And if the Lord wants to come alongside and join me in these plans, that'd be a nice bonus. But I got this covered. Now we come to verse 17. And I always thought this verse was just sort of one of those things tacked on that didn't really have to do with what we'd read before. And James does that some because... It's kind of like Proverbs. Not every verse is exactly related. But I think I, through some reading, can connect these now. So verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Now I always sort of uh, read that as to say, you know, if if you don't ever do the good thing, then it's sin. But with the urgency James is talking about and with the, the planning... I think this is James saying, hey, since you don't know about tomorrow, then if you know the good thing you need to do, and you don't do it today because you think you can do it tomorrow, it's a sin. Stop putting that off. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Stop putting off that right thing. You got no guarantee you can do it later. So if you are convicted of the right thing to do, And you don't do it because you just assume, I've got time. You're making a false assumption. And it's sin. So what would we do with this passage? What is James calling us to do? What are our next right steps? I have four of them for you. Number one, pray over your calendar. And here's what I mean by that. I don't think scripture is condemning planning... It's not condemning profit-making, but it is condemning our arrogant self-sufficiency sometimes. So praying over our calendar helps us make plans in accordance with God's will. It helps us ask God to be present in what's coming before us. When our calendar and our faith are separated, we get into trouble. Am I spending my time in the ways God would have me spend my time and And have I sought his blessing for the ways I'm choosing to spend my time? So if you're like me, you're a calendar person. How do I bring my faith into that? Maybe each week as I'm kind of planning out my week. Maybe I ask God to show me places I need to spend my time differently. And to be convicted to spend my time now in ways he would call me to do. The second thing is stop boasting. Now, this passage doesn't mean you have to just tack on Lord willing before every plan you make. But you do well, and I would do well, to check our confidence in our own ability. I got this covered. We'll go to this meeting. Our prophets are going to be here. Everything's set because of my awesome abilities. So many of you are really, really good at what you do. But in the end... It's not fully up to us. And the minute we think it's all up to our own abilities, we get ourselves into some trouble, don't we? I can carry the world on my shoulders. Thank you very much. So don't boast. It also, you ever had that moment where you look foolish because the thing you arrogantly boasted about didn't actually happen? There's some practical reasons for that too. You know? When you're overconfident and you don't deliver... And you've made it all about you, then guess who gets all the blame? It's you. Number three, do the right thing now. Do the right thing now. Uh, The the Stoic writer uh, Seneca, in one of his letters, writes about a distinguished Roman leader named Cornelius Senecio. He says of this guy, he knew how to make money and keep it. And he tells the story of this man who went to visit a sick friend and then went home and enjoyed a nice dinner, but then he falls ill that night with what we would now call a heart attack, barely makes it till the morning. And he says within a very few hours after the time when he'd been performing all the duties of a sound and healthy man, he passed away. During the very realization of financial success and during the very onrush of the money that flowed into his coffers, he was snatched from the world. I want to read you, it's a little bit lengthier reading, I want to read you the lesson Seneca takes from this because it's exactly what James is saying. He says, How foolish it is to set out one's life when one is not even the owner of the morrow. Oh, what madness it is to plot out far-reaching hopes, to say, I will buy and build, loan and call in money, win titles of honor, and then... Old and full of years, I will surrender myself to a life of ease. Believe me when I say that everything is doubtful, even for those who are prosperous. No one has any right to draw for himself upon the future. And then he says, We plan distant voyages and long postponed homecomings after roaming over foreign shores. We canvass for governorships and promotions of one office after another. And all the while, death stands at our side. Therefore, let us so order our minds as if we had come to the very end. Let us postpone nothing and let us balance life's account every day. Here's what I want to say to us. You've got something that you know is the right thing to do. Do it now. If you've got a relationship you need to repair, do it now. If you've got a problem with someone that you need to fix, do it now. If you've been thinking about becoming a Christian, if you've been thinking about being baptized, do it now. Don't wait. What I want to say to us in the words of Jesus, I want to say this with love but firmness. If you find yourself thinking, I'll get to that later, Jesus would say, You fool. You are not guaranteed to wake up tomorrow. That's convicting fourth and final thing i want to say on a note of hope is that we should actually give thanks for the lord's control you know what because we don't have to be in control when we're able to release that control it can be a relief can't it it's like the writer of proverbs who says in our in our hearts we plan our course but the lord establishes our steps many are the plans in our hearts but it's the lord lord's purpose that prevails what i want to say it is a relief to know that it's not all up to me That I don't have to be in control. That it's not up to me to fix everything in the world. It's not up to me to make perfect plans that if I mess up, everything's going to fall apart. That the Lord is ultimately in control. And that's hard for those of us who want to be in control. But when we can acknowledge that, what a relief. What a relief to know that the world does not rest on my shoulders. Because I am flawed and I am imperfect and I make mistakes. But the Lord doesn't, and ultimately things are under his control. So what do we do with this passage? We pray over our calendar, and we quit our boasting, and we do the right thing now. And because the Lord's in control, we give thanks. So may the God who has numbered our days teach us to do the same and act accordingly. Let's stand and sing.